Welcome to Out of the Woods, the Threat Hunting Podcast. Good afternoon, everyone. First, I want to welcome everyone to our Out of the Woods Threat Hunting live Discord interactive podcast. This aims at covering the burning topics relating to all threat hunting and security stuff that you want to know about. And this episode is going to be kind of different than ones in the past, uh, but I think it'll be a lot of fun. So just a reminder throughout the podcast, we'll be taking comments and questions from our Discord server. If you want to participate, make sure to sign up using the link in the welcome message. So some of the brief introductions, I'm Scott Poley. You can check me out on LinkedIn to kind of check out my background and experience. And then we've got Mike and I'll let him introduce himself. Hey, I'm Mike. Same thing. I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, check me out if you'd like to. And then we got Lee Arkanal. How's it going? I'm uh, everywhere. Uh, take a look at LinkedIn, see what I do. Um, yeah. And I think Good. we're going to pull up Discord so we can track on the on the feed here. Yeah, Lee, do you want to pull up and share Discord real quick? So just so you, everyone knows, and when we do these live podcasts, we always feature a, a special cocktail that's cyber-themed. Um, this podcast this week is the Cyber Sentinel. Uh, so at the end, if you're if you're drinking along with us, trying to drink, that's great. Give us some feedback. Um, special note about this one: we actually let ChatGPT help us create it. Uh, so you kind of see if if you think that it did a good job or not. Um, so what I mentioned about this being a special podcast or edition of this, uh, we're gonna really dive into ChatGPT, and we're gonna do two different sections. The first is we're going to kind of do a bake-off. I have already had some conversations with ChatGPT on some generalized security questions. And we're going to see how Mike and Lee fare, what their opinions are, and then kind of compare and contrast between ChatGPT and the guys. Um, and then we're going to move on to how we think ChatGPT has helped us in our day-to-day -day and career in cybersecurity and share some really cool tricks and tips utilizing ChatGPT. So, with that, let's dive into the us versus it section. Um, so the first question that I dug into with ChatGPT was, what is the most important technical role in cybersecurity and why? What do you think, Mike? Oh, all right, I'll kick this off. Man, this is stressful. Uh, so I, and I'm a little biased coming from my experience. Um, I was a security engineer to start my career in cybersecurity. And I think that that is a very important and very technical role um, within the cybersecurity realm. So from a security engineering's perspective, you have to understand the kind of the network, the infrastructure, the architecture, um, potentially policies. Um, you have to enact a lot of those policies in your process. And as you're designing and building that architecture, Typically, those those individuals work very closely with the analysts and other groups within cybersecurity to to make sure you're building the right capabilities. They also work with developers. They also work with you know kind of the front end policymakers and managers and kind of the higher ups that are designing the whole architecture. So again, I'm a little biased, but I feel like that's that's in my mind the most uh, technical role as well as being able to build and script and program and potentially those those people know python or some other type of uh, scripting language so that's my super quick answer so i don't get crushed by chat gpt 
<laughs> what do you think, Lee? I have to agree with Mike. So on the back end, you have the people managing the tools and engineering. As an analyst and a threat hunter, which I would love to say, yeah, threat hunter, but ChatGPT is really good at finding new information and regurgitating what already exists. As an engineer, right. you have to go into a unique environment that is unique to you, figure out how all the puzzle pieces fit, put them together and maintain it. I haven't tested ChatGPT about errors, like, hey, what if I get this error or stuff? But if that error is unique to a situation that you're in, ChatGPT might like have a vague recommendation, but you know, at the end of the day, it's gonna take the engineer to sit there and solve the problem. So I have to say engineer because they're the one maintaining the tools, the architecture, um, everything that we're using to, make, to be successful. So that's my point. So interestingly enough, when I asked ChatGPT, one of the things I've learned with using ChatGPT functions like this is it always regurgitates just a big list of things a lot of times, but it's always really good to prompt it to try to sort it in some sort of order you care about. And it will actually do a, a better job of giving you a list you care about. So when I sent out the question in the list, um, it mentioned security analyst, network system administrator, penetration tester, incident responder, and security architect. And then, then I had the same thought. I was like, man, I wonder where Threat Hunter fits in in this, because you know that's kind of what we're all about. So then I kind of gave it the pivot question on, you know, what about threat hunting? And it said that it was more of a specialized version of either security analyst or incident responder. And I feel like that's kind of how a lot of people treat threat hunting too. So it kind of made sense to me where everyone kind of shoes and, oh, we'll do threat hunting here as part of a, a dual role, right? Or it shares some of the same skill sets of both, right? So once I kind of prompt it with threat hunting, then I asked it to organize what roles were the most important. It actually said security architect is one, which I thought was a pretty good answer when you think about, when you mentioned engineering, I feel like it kind of falls in line with that, right? Like engineering sure. is like, I feel like just a sub-step under that. Architects are kind of really thinking big picture process. Engineering are like what to do with everything and make it work. But it actually put threat hunting second after I had the kind of conversation with it. So I thought that was interesting. So bias, Chad GPT. Well, I may have, I may have influenced it. I definitely gave threat hunting. I gave threat hunting a category for it to consider. And I think it why it probably put it above some of the other roles it previously mentioned was because it's more specialized. And if it covers down on two roles, it obviously would be better to have than not have one of the other roles because they can cover down on those as well with the skill sets and things. So I thought that was interesting. So should we take a quick small step back and just talk about how ChatGPT builds these models and these responses, I think is kind of important for the next set of questions we're gonna ask it, right? So it's been scraping the internet and it tries to compile you know, the responses based on the data that it gets. So it's interesting enough, if you start to ask things in the 2022, 2023 kind of lexicon, yeah, pre you really know how to answer, right? Yeah. And so it's interesting, right? Like I, I wouldn't have a job today. I wouldn't have a job as a security engineer if I didn't know how to Google things and find the answers and kind of, <laughs> you know, do some logic puzzles around how to find what these errors mean. And so this is a really good way to kind of culminate that data together. But um, I think it's important to understand how it kind of builds these models and presents the data back. So I do want to say, I also agree with ChatGBT when it talks about a threat hunter being considered a specialized type of security analyst or incident responder. Talking to the different customers that we do and 
feeling out, you know, where I've been, my experiences um, from security or SOC analyst and incident responder to threat hunter, you have to have that understanding of what's going on and how to correlate logs and look at re uh, relationships between events once something has happened. Um, if you have a, if you're in an organization that has an IR process and procedure that exists already, then I think you can elevate to have threat hunters be pulled from that group. I don't think you could do it the opposite way. And I don't think you would want to do it the opposite way to be, to be fair. Like if you have a bunch of threat hunters just searching for data um, or maliciousness and you don't have an instant responders, then I mean, guess what? You're, you are now a threat hunter instant responder. I think it's like one of those things that I've, you knew, but once you saw it in words, it was like, oh yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Like that just clicks. Yeah, yeah. Would you would you say that kind of threat hunter is a blend of a security engineer and an analyst from a understanding of the environment type perspective, right? It takes both of those skill sets to be a really good threat hunter. I wish, but I think Alex is mad at me because I'm always like, Alex, help. Alex, I need this. Alex. <laughs> I would say the skill sets that reside in an engineer, an analyst, and an instant responder, like if you can fill, if, if you're able to maybe not be the best at any one of those roles, but you could fill all three of them, you're probably a decent threat hunter, yep. right? That's kind of how I look at it. The jack of all trades. We know how to do a lot of stuff well. <laughs> yeah. All right, so let's let's jump to the next one. So the next question, guys, you're going to get hit with is, if you only do one thing to protect an organization, what is the most important thing you should do? Two-factor authentication. Lee, <laughs> you kick it off. Really? Yeah, I mean, so <laughs> hear me out. I mean, well, are, wait, time out. Are we talking about like our security controls in place and then, then we got some, or is it just like we have an organization that's flat and we need So some it's interesting you brought that up because Chat GPT just kind of looked at it as a broad thing because it is usually broad unless you make it specific. So think of that as far as your answer. Not a bad answer though. I would say, oh, man, you know, so, okay. I'm thinking new organization, we moved to the cloud, 2FA. I'm gonna stick with it because All right. that's just what I'm doing. First answer is your best answer. I like yep. it. Go with your gut. Scott, you, you wanna like... you wanna go? Or are you gonna just prompt? I already know the answer. Well, I know their answer, so it's not really <laughs> fair. All right. So again, I'm thinking from the kind of the core infrastructure architecture perspective. I'm gonna say zero trust. I'm gonna say separation of uh kind of enclaves or security environments, right? So I say zero trust because it copy. is a concept. It's a buzzword, right? Like we're about to go to RSA. Maybe it's going to be the I was just going to say, we have the RSA website. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you got to think about it. So it was a security concept, zero trust, yep. right? It's something that we've always learned and understood as a concept in security. It became a product because somebody figured out how to productize it and build it into tools and um, more physical process. So that as a core, I feel like is the best way to think about security, right? So it, it kills kind of lateral movement. It can kill a lot of the, the tactics and techniques that, that malware uses if you get to a place and you're just cut off because you can't escalate privilege, you can't maneuver an environment. So that's what we go with, zero trust. And chat GPT said, drum roll please. So interestingly enough, it started out with kind of how if you were going to start a security program and it started out with building a security strategy, they were saying that was the most important thing, probably because if you don't have a strategy in place, how are you going to build into other areas? I kind of felt like that was a 
your traditional cop out too. Like, okay, we were thinking more along the lines like, gosh, if you only had to do one thing or you could do one thing, that kind of opened the door for now you can do many things with this one thing, right? But I did try to like make it pivot uh, and go to like, well, what's the runner up? Thinking there might be something more specific. And it went right to a, a robust risk management plan or risk management type thing. So, I mean, once again, it's kind of hitting the top two things that uh, maybe a security group should have or within the org. But I asked it for what technical thing, and I did agree with this, or I do feel like this is a very common answer. If you if you went away from strategy and planning, what technical thing would you do? And it said basically uh, patching and updating software and systems. I thought that was a pretty good answer. It sounded like the first two answers were straight from the CISSP common book of knowledge. Oh yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. it's on the internet, right? Right. So yeah, uh, so we have we have these polls going on. We're kind of curious, you know, who who likes what answer better? If they like ChatGPT <laughs> or none or whatever that goes. So feedback will be interesting. The poll uh, was really the copy. I'm not gonna insert it in, but you'll see the the top of the question right after the poll there. All right, so I'm kind of moving on to our next question. And this one I thought would be interesting, right? Like, what is the best way to break into the cybersecurity field? Only to see what ChatGPT would say. Um, but, you know, leaving it to you guys first, uh, who wants to jump off this one? I'll kick this one off, I guess. I'm really right. curious to see what ChatGPT says. I've been having a lot of conversations with people who want to get into cybersecurity and they don't know the best mm -hmm. route. And I've always broken it down into kind of three different tracks. You can go the security analyst track, security engineer track or like the inside sales sales track of being like a technical sales person right i i personally think it's experience in that it help desk type role getting that experience understanding you know the base of what we do from a security perspective right so if you're you're in it and you understand networking and infrastructure and servers and if you've been in help desk and had to answer questions and track down issues and bugs and um, be able to talk to customers like those two skill sets in themselves allow you to go either one of those routes, right? If you have that ability to investigate and find out the problem and you like doing that, that could be that analyst route. If you if you like the tracking on the bugs or like you understand the network side and you can mitigate those, you know, network or, or security or sorry, software based things, maybe that's the engineering route and the sales route because you can talk to customers, you can interact. So I kind of break it down to, to that perspective. Okay, what do you got, Lee? So it's interesting. Um, knowing my background as a network administrator first, and I hear help desk a lot, and I understand, because there's, you got troubleshooting, you got interaction with customers, but I, quite frankly, I wanna say, and you know, there's gonna be a super generic answer, but I'm gonna say be passionate and be driven. Cool. Because I don't care what field you're trying to get into. If you just start tinkering, you're gonna be successful. It's the hobbies, it's the things, the challenges that you like, um, that really like, I can't wait to get off work because I'm gonna go set up my server and I'm gonna run the Elk stack, or I'm gonna run, or I'm gonna figure out how to stand up a Splunk instance, right? Like, I wanna see what this malware does. If you can be passionate and talk about it, how much that, like not only brings you joy but how much it drives you to do the things you want whatever it is you want to be a lawyer go be passionate about that you know you'll be a doctor go be passionate about that. like just be passionate 
continue to learn um, and challenge yourself. If ChatGPT comes up with that answer, I'm going to be very scared. <laughs> so I think Lee was pretty spot on to what ChatGPT was trying to get to. Now, remember when ChatGPT answers, it usually gives you a list when you ask it questions that are generic, right. right? But I would say if you were to apply passion, the idea of Lee and the concept of passion, it applies to all the points it makes. So I'll quickly yep. hit, submit that up. And the points it makes is basically gain a solid understanding of the computer science fundamentals, like, you know, operating systems, how things work, basically. Develop technical skills, so, like, be learning things. Get certified. Build a network, not like a network that you work on, but, like, network of people. Uh, gain practical experience, so try to get out there, part-time jobs, internships, freelance work, whatever you can do to get, like, hands-on experience. And then continuously educate. So, like, with Lee's answer of being passionate, I feel like you would be doing all of those things. You know, I think that's fair. Yeah. So, so, I want to give That's amazing. Yeah, that, that's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm scared now. Like I said, I'm going to get cliche, but everyone is asking about the right path. Mm. Right. Everyone, what's the right path into getting into cybersecurity? Well, no, education wasn't mentioned in there as far as like a formal school program. It was all these other things, which I thought was really interesting. That's important. Yeah. Um, people should take notice. Yeah. And in my past of like hiring people, you know, one of the best questions I love to ask is like, what do you do in your free time? Like, what are you passionate about? And if they're like, I have a home lab or I love breaking down code or I have a GitHub thing, I'm tinkering. Like, I love all of those answers. And I think it just needs to trickle down into the rest of the hiring process. Cause I was on Indeed helping a friend of mine kind of look through you know, job postings and everything said three to five plus years experience of security, blah, 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 blah. Right. And it gates you immediately. And there's so much talent out there who are driven to learn well, everything about, about this field. Taking a step back, every, everything you mentioned, if you're doing those things, I think you should count that as experience. Absolutely. Right. Not necessarily on the job, but if you're doing it at home, like if you, you should count your hobbies in cybersecurity as experience. Absolutely. And when people ask you that question, bring it up and explain it well. Yeah, well, formal experience, but yeah, and and like I said, cliche moment. Don't look for the right path. Look for your path. Yeah. Look for what drives you, yeah. where you want to go. Yeah, right. But yeah, you're making T-shirts over there, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> I beat Chat GPT. <laughs> That's great. No, I love that. All right, so we got a few more here. So this was interesting, and and I feel like it's kind of a gimme, but we'll see. What is the most popular cybersecurity tactic used in attacks? We try to get ChatGPT technical here. I was going to say fish, but I'm going to say social engineering. Okay. I went basic and went fishing. <laughs> Which now is a combination of social general and listening. Right, right, right. I'm going to say so, social engineering and all the above. Let's hear what ChatGPT said, and then we can break it down a little bit. That's I'm getting to the answer. It did mention social engineering and spear phishing as the answer. Uh, so I, I thought that, like I said. Yay! <laughs> so it did say spear phishing um, was the the number one thing. Um, and I tried to look for other types of attacks, and it kind of stuck to the social engineering side of things. Yeah, I mean, email is a vector, like we all know it. The attackers are getting very uh, sophisticated on how they can 
you know, get access to environments, right? I, I, people can craft emails that look very, 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 very similar to, you know, things they might see in the wild, right? So if it's something from Gmail or something from Microsoft or, um, you know, wherever else, it's it's getting crazy to see the the capabilities. And again, with things like Metasploit and some of the open source frameworks that allow for the C2 and the callbacks, and then, you know, malware as a service, like it, it's just gonna extrapolate from that point, right? That's the easy thing to do, I feel like, is to mimic a website. The hard thing to do is to, to gain persistence and do all the other things that, you know, lend to getting access to more data, but. No, I agree, I agree. Yeah, I got to dig that one out. I failed to copy that one over, but I know that was the answer. So I'll dig that out and throw that in there in a little bit. So yeah, so I, I think what's interesting is, I mean, that one was kind of obvious to us as security, security professionals, um, and ChatGPT seemed to pick up on it pretty well. So the next question, what is the most desired skill in cybersecurity to try to develop? Like what skill, if you're in cyber, like what should you focus on or would help you get a job or is the most effective skill kind of thing? I think desired and the things that I've been seeing again, looking through the the job postings is people are asking for people with some coding or scripting experience. I think purely for the fact that like APIs are becoming way more prevalent than they have been. So I remember working at a previous job about 2013, 2014, and helping an organization build their API against a very well-known security tool. They didn't have an API. And so because we were trying to do things programmatically, we're helping them define their API. And so now call it 2022, 2023, every security tool typically has an API that you need to programmatically work with, or if it's intelligence streams or whatever else, um, I think the ability to understand how to interact with that and utilize that in your organization is kind of bubbling up as a really interesting skill set to have. And there's a there's an interesting barrier to entry there. Like if you know the basic Python language, you can potentially communicate with those APIs because they're so well documented. And there's things like Postman, I think mm -hmm. it's Fast API. There's a lot of really like well-defined structure around it now that it's a lot easier to interact with. So that's what I'm going with. I'm going to say deeper digital forensics and incident responders. I'm going to throw SOC analysts in there as well. I may be going off old statistics, but I know when I first stepped into the uh, into that realm that they said a instant responder has one and a half to two year lifespan before they get burned out and move on to the next thing. Maybe not the most technically needed, but I think demand. If you're going to have that um, that constant rollover, I mean, you need to fill those spots, especially the instant responder spots, because if you are, you know, actually trying to protect and mitigate for your um, for your organization, you, you need that, right? You need people to look at it just as much as you need the engineers. But if you're in an incident, I'm going to say that role. Okay, so when I asked Chat GPT, uh, it gave me a list naturally. It didn't give me one answer because it didn't want to sound wrong. But I had it sorted, and what I liked about the list, at least is it's kind of the skill sets i feel like a well-rounded like the list itself of what a well-rounded security professional would look like so it never it didn't really give one that i thought was like if you have this skill you're you know you'll be the best but it was like if you have all these skills you're just a desirable security professional in general and it started out with and i'll go ahead and get that posted um 
but it, you know, the top of the list was threat intelligence, then it went to incident response, network security, compliance and regulation, cloud security, security automation, penetration testing, and uh, cryptography. And I kind of like if you're going to list those things, listing them in that order. But, uh, but I, I, you know, when I think of if I was going to be learning in cybersecurity to be a good professional, it would be really, really good for me to understand how to read threat intelligence, especially cyber threat intelligence, because I feel like so much of that we kind of take for granted because you get used to reading these reports and going through them and pulling important things out and knowing how to use them. But they kind of build that base for what are things that I should know or care about or things that I need to learn just by understanding those reports in, in general. So I, I kind of liked how it kind of stuck with that. That list is interesting because I don't feel like it should be stack ranked in that order, I think. Because some of those things blend in, yeah. right? But I would definitely put cryptography at the bottom. I hate when people put a big emphasis on cryptography. Like, I think it's an important concept. And I think it's under good to understand how to implement cryptography, like how it should be used, but how it works, that's for the mathematicians. So, yeah. Yeah, you're not yeah. typically breaking cryptography on a day-to-day -day basis. Right? Yeah, it's funny how to, like, side channel it or do something different in the process. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right. Oh, great. So moving on, this one I thought would be interesting. I was trying to figure out because I know in cybersecurity, you kind of run into the problem where staffing is always a, a juggle, right? Where do you have enough people? Do you have too many people? But I wanted to focus on the leadership of cybersecurity. Like when you have a team of people, if you're going to lead a really talented group of people, how many people can you lead effectively? So I asked ChatGPT basically, what is the most effective ratio of people to a supervisor or that kind of level, right? To try to understand what it thinks in general and then kind of what you guys think. Please. I'm going to go, going back to the military roots. Yeah, that's where I went to. Science, nice. Four to six per team. Was it 10? Like squad equivalent. Squad. There you go. Yeah, like teams, a squad, a platoon kind of thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, if it was effective in the military, it's probably effective everywhere else. Maybe. <laughs> well, you got Mike. So I know industry standards typically are like eight to ten direct reports before you have to then start building in some like middle management type roles to help scale that out. Eight reports for cyber seems like way too many. I feel like you need smaller teams to be able to communicate and work effectively. So you don't have people kind of hitting against each other as they're doing that work. And one of the things that we've seen, and I'm going to go into a little bit of a tangent, but we've seen a lot of the uh, the firings over the past couple of months in big IT organizations. And they're typically firing like the middle management type roles where it's just like this, it's you hire a guy to they're manage to save money. that guy's not doing work. It's just managing the team. So I love teams that have a working manager or somebody doing the work alongside of the other team members. So you're all in it together and you're dealing with it at the same time, right? So my 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 answer initially was like eight is industry standard, but specific to cyber, I feel like a team of like five is like perfect in my mind. Because you don't want to have so a superstar that gets to a place that they, they just start hiring people underneath them and then they're not doing work. And then that's where you get right. the waste, right? So I think four to five to six, depending on what the role is. So ChatGPT, um, I'll post it real quick so everyone can, can read as I talk a little bit if they want. 
basically said that the the benchmark in general regardless of like what the situation is like seven to eight individuals but obviously it's very dependent upon what you're supervising as far as like what field industry whatever that is because obviously there's some jobs that you can have a lot of people in one supervisor but when i feel like when it comes to cyber you have really talented people and with talent it means everyone can go in so many different directions and you kind of it's not like you need to you never want to micromanage these people but you want people working in parallel to the same objective and that's where I feel like the team to four to five works really well. And that's kind of what it was talking about for like software development. It's kind of common to have four to five people. And you think software development, you can't have people going off the rails because then when they develop software, all the stuff people write won't work together. Mm -hmm. And I feel like cybersecurity is kind of the same thing, right? Like you want people to be able to work together on a common thing. And so that team size is really important. And it's it's okay to have, and that's why I like the military. I went there, Lee, as well, right? because team leads have four to five people under them, usually like four, and then squads go to like 10 to 12, and then platoons is like four of those squads, you know, whatever it is. And that size is, you know, you have specialized individuals, you need to have close control of people to be able to do what they need to achieve, and also effective communication. You know, that's something people forget about when it comes to that middle level management, is there's a tax to communication if you want to be in the know and senior leaders especially in cyber always want to know what's going on because things are always happening and you take out that middle level management and now you're taxing all those lower level people that have to communicate constantly and do their job so that's something people i think sometimes forget about you know but i think that's the frustration is that like the higher level management isn't in the weeds with those guys right so like they're asking for the reporting and the oh, directly to them yeah but they yeah. they're not in in the weeds doing the work with those guys they're not in the mud like grinding every day like they're just kind of like getting those reports and so i guess and i'll ask you all this question from the military perspective if you have the team of four you have three teams of four those leaders of those teams would they bubble up to a squad leader so you have like tiers of that communication. So one person manages those teams, but the team leaders are directly, yeah. So I feel like in cyber, a lot of times it's just upper management and then everything else underneath, right? It might be one guy trying to bubble right. up, but like there's not the dissemination of those roles up. And, yeah, and, and what's interesting is there's that, there's definitely, you gotta find that line of delineation when it comes to management, I think in cyber, where sometimes you get too top heavy because you have too many leaders that aren't part of solving the problem, right? And then that that's where you run into that problem. Like, well, we don't need this leadership. They're not as effective. You gotta be able to establish the leadership for who is like a technical lead and a close to the people. And then you have the people that are like helping to communicate and the proper terms to the right stakeholders. Right. That's, a, that's an important skill set and role as well. And you gotta have that line somewhere in the middle so that you're effective on both sides of that line um and i so, guess culture yeah. between those groups and teams right so like company oh. culture or industry like organizational culture so like it's it's easier to talk about when it's a, a company of 25 right but as you grow that out those individual teams need to at least be able to get together and not have that clash of identity or ego or wherever it is and just get the job done i feel like you always have that issue of the different, or we'll call it the different team. I know people in the chat are on the different team, but like 
the different team, the hunt team, the Intel team, they all have their individual identities. And a lot of times they clash once they get together and you really have to build that like culture between those team leads to make sure like they're all working. Yeah. What's interesting to me, and you mentioned that, it kind of makes you, I'm, I'm kind of going on like the military tangent, how it's organized, right? Now <laughs> yeah. that we're talking about it. But you, typically when I see those silos of those uniquely skilled teams with priorities and responsibilities, they go to, a, uh, I would call it a soft manager. And I, and I don't use that in a, in a negative way. They're just not a technical person. They're someone that helps orchestrate and work with people. But I feel like when you have those technical teams, it should go to a hard manager, to someone who understands the technical aspect so they can they can leverage the skills of multiple teams effectively and that bubbles up to that director's almost type level that's more of your soft manager to help facilitate because i feel like a lot of times there's skills um when it comes to improving the security maturity posture whatever of an organization uh you find lapses because you have the right individuals and they're siloed in the correct way to try to be effective within their silos but the collectively, they, they can't work well together because there's no one yep. to help facilitate that. Yep. To go back back to the military, there was a reason they always put a first sergeant with the company commander, right? You had a guy that was in the mud and blood. Um, he's been there before. So that if the, the commander, who's, a, you know, just say like more of an administrative leader, if they're not understanding what's going on, like you have that communication, like you were saying, the guy's like, well, this, makes sense. this is what we're doing. But I don't know how many organizations follow that kind of structure where they bring in a guy that's been possibly in management all his life. He moved from manager to director to VP to CISO. And he like yeah. understands cybersecurity. <laughs> you know, like, but he's never like actually sat down and done help desk where he's never sat down and been an instant responder to say, this is what I remember. It's always, this is what should be, right? Here's, yeah, I have a bunch of hot takes on that one, man. It's so frustrating <laughs> when, <laughs> it happens. that's why I love, I love the startup culture because typically you're gonna hire people who've been in the mud, who've done the work. They might be able to do the management side, but they know what they're talking about from the technical side and work with the teams. I love those small teams of startups. Um, and you get into these larger organizations and you have these people who have just like, they're really good at concepts, but that doesn't always translate when you actually have to go do the work. Like I might know how to- Everyone understands the business best practice. Not everyone understands how to implement or do the actually business do it. best practice. Right. So, and I, I go back to my yeah. baseball playing days and I, I go off on a tangent, but like industries have this problem across the board. We're talking about cyber. Every industry has this problem of hiring people who haven't been in the thick of things running the organization and it's across the board and it, it's, 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 it's huge in baseball, which, which stinks, right? But you have guys who are managing organizations and players and teams that have never played baseball before in their life. And that's just kind of a personal experience, but we've also seen it in cyber. We see it across the board. So, yeah. Did anyone see? So that's gonna that's gonna bridge academics <laughs> with real life. And don't get me wrong, academics has has its place, but it's this kind of the same concept. If you spend all your time in academics, where you're talking theory, you're discussing then like emerging technology, you know that's great. But whenever it comes to actually bridging the gap of 
all right, this is how it should be, but this is how it is. You know, they kind of missed that point. And I don't know if anyone saw the Twitter post that someone said it's out there. I believe the person was a doc doctorate candidate, but they said something, or take that with a grain of salt, but they said, my university is installing spyware called CrowdStrike on my laptop. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> it's like, technically, I mean, you can do a lot with it. The way, right. the way it operates. I mean, there's visibility, it, right? but yeah. But it's technically, not the purpose. <laughs> that's the point, right? It's, it's, right. it's yeah, it's like, real how are you world. Make communication? Like, when you show up in your environment, you're like, we have CrowdStrike? Whoa, who's spying on us? Like, yeah. Like, yeah. If I saw CrowdStrike, I'd be kind of excited because at least I know how the tool works, right? I'd be like, oh, cool. So we can leverage this set of things. Right. 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 But yeah. Take off all the computers now. Right. Yeah. All right. So let's move on. So the next one I think is an interesting question, and I kind of liked what ChatGPT had to say. But in your opinion, what is the hardest cyber attack technique to detect? I know. No, we'll go to our I'm resident browser. To a tactic instead of a technique? Well, let me look at the answer and I'll tell you if it's more of a technique. It's kind of more of a technique, but some of it, I mean, it's chat GPT, so it's like generalized version of the techniques. <laughs> it lists them, so you can try to hit something on the list. Let's, let's be honest. That's and great. GPT rules. It's like, I don't want to be wrong, so I'm going to give you like five. Yeah, right. No particular, but but you know that's what I like about it being a tool and not the authoritative thing, right? Like that way you can ask it questions and get ideas and form your own opinion, which is kind of like what we're doing now, which I think is like I think how it should be used, mm -hmm. you know, effectively. Go ahead, Lee. You're up first, man. Technique. You don't have to give me like a minor idea, like just general. Like, what are some of the things you think would be hard to detect? T one five two seven. <laughs> T1059001. Um, I don't know what that is. <laughs> I have to look that up. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm gonna go to Mike because I'm, well, off the top of my head, I'm thinking stages of the attack, so weaponization, but I, I don't think that's even close to the actual answer. It's more specific. specific. It definitely is more technique-ish than that. All right. Um, technique most difficult to detect. Yeah. When I, when I read them out, you're gonna be like, oh, if you can't think of it. I'm gonna say abuse so. of privileges okay or misuse of privileges okay, Mike. <laughs> i don't know if i have a good answer for this one uh it's i'm at the default you guys are, it's funny because i think you guys are making it harder than it has to be <laughs> zero days how about that <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> all right, no, there you go. All right you so the techniques and the list it gave it started out with fileless malware Okay. okay, living off the land binaries are attacks. Hidden in encrypted command and control, so C2 communication. Yeah. And then it talked about encryption, obfuscation, and then malicious use of legitimate protocols. So what I loved about this, as it as it stands, and we're like, you know, pro on the whole, like threat hunting helps with things. At least I could say four out of the five threat hunting directly addresses, right? Um, Which ones? Living off the land binaries, it's, it's something you can't build detections well off all the time. You can, but not all the time. But hunting helps adjust some of that so that you can say, hey, let me see how these are being utilized as far as some behaviors I'm thinking about. Or hitting an encrypted C2, there are some analytical as far as um, 
you know, we talked about three different types of threat hunting with intelligence-driven, analytical-driven, situational awareness. Um, Analytical-driven can help solve some of those things. Um, encryption obfuscation, we have ways to look for that based on how we see things being executed um, from a threat hunting perspective. And then malicious use of legitimate protocols. I mean, DNS tunneling is a prime example. Um, and you can easily find that if you actually look for it. In my opinion, I, I don't think it's really hard to detect. You just have to know a couple of things to look for and actually figure out what tools you can utilize to do that with. Um, right. So that's a good example as well. So this yeah. keyword is detect. And then that thing's alerts, detections versus hunting and seeing. Um, Identify. There, so oh, that leads we, us to what we're going and, to next. Oh, I was going to say in this list, like what are the, the kind of easiest or hardest to detect in this list then in y'all's minds? So I had it sorted what I thought would be the hardest. The hardest, the easiest. So yeah, the hardest is at the top and that's how chats um, sorted it. I, I kind of have a bit like fileless malware. I feel like, yes, it's hard, but if you're using common techniques to do fileless malware, it's kind of easy to detect. That's kind of where I stand, but there's a, there's like different ways to try to leverage that. They can be kind of sneaky. Living at the land binaries, I would kind of say is can be very hard if you don't know what you're looking for or you don't understand some things. So like the level of difficulty with some of these is really more about where is your expertise and familiarity? Familiarity. It's a hard word for me to say right now, apparently. So that's probably the cyber sentinel. I don't know. Um, but yep. Um, so, but yeah, like, so I feel like these aren't impossible. The ones that are more analytical based obviously are harder to solve. There's uh, either skills or tool sets you might not have. The ones that don't rely on analytics, like from the network traffic perspective, I feel like you should be able to come up with. I want to say that actually might be, well, I'm going to say second easiest. Because think about encryption and all. But what's weird is it's the most commonly used, though. Like, like if you look at this list yeah. and say, what are the most commonly used attacks that you see? It's weird that we would say, yes, these agreeably are, we can say which ones we can detect well, but they're so overly used. So either we're not looking for them the correct way or whatever, right? Like, it all we, we address on these on a day-to-day. If, if the threat actor is good and they're living in your space for a while and they're looking at your laws and like figuring out what's going on, they could blend in a lot easier. But if no one ever uses net local group or AD find, or, you know, there's like mm -hmm. common, um, it should stand out if you're looking for it, right? Then that might stick out. Or I think you even taught me this. If you're looking at a server and you see a bunch of low bins kicking off that don't normally do it, I mean, that could be, an easy win, right? Saying like, well, why is the domain controller trying to figure out what's going on on the domain controller? Well, it's kind of like, we've talked about it before, but I think that's why profile hunting is important, Yeah. right? Especially for environments that are more or less static or process specific. You know, that way you're, you're basically saying, oh yeah, this shouldn't change much. So let's profile it in some way based on behaviors we know that would be malicious and we know what we can effectively detect if we want to put detections in place or hunt for yeah so i feel like we should jump to the shadow ai Ooh, you guys are up for that so something we dubbed sha shadow ai and it's and basically because we have, yeah we're yeah we're definitely um we basically it's kind of our we you know people have heard of shadow it and how people have used different resources and things to either do their job or not do their job, depending on what it is. 
Um, I kind of look at chat GPT as something similar, or we do, where you can help it perform some of the things you want to do on your job, or it can distract you very easily because it's easy to get on that rabbit hole. Um, but these, we have 13 things that we have all have kind of identified or agreed on as, as helpful things that we can see helping us on the day-to-day -day using chat GPT and the strength of it. And, you know, we always hear all these articles that talk about, oh, chat GPT can run all this malware and do all these offensive things. Well, let's kind of flip it. Let's talk about how does a security practitioner utilize chat GPT to make their day easier or their investigations response easier and those types of things. So with that, I believe, Lee, you got the first topic, the learn a new security topic. So looking at the way people learn, right? Back in the day, all books, education, academics, then, uh, you know, like YouTube came out and I was like, oh, I could learn this real quick. Then TikTok came and you have the TikTok taught me where you can see it in 30 seconds or less. Now you have ChatGPT where you don't have to sift through documentation. You could ask for a simple topic that you want and the outputs that you get even give you an example. Um, because before I came here, I always wanted to know what a keylogger looked like and what um, DNS tunneling and um, like a beacon looked like. I never had the um, resources to make that happen. Um, so when I came here, I was like, we got the lab, let's play around. So, you know, I've, I've messed around with key loggers and it was fun to sit there and watch, right? But before that, if I wouldn't have had this opportunity, ChatGPT would have been great because then you could actually see like, you have it right there, SQL injection. What does that look like? I know, you know, it's, it's using the language, it's using the drop table, the one minus one, you know, or one equals one, et cetera. But what does that look like? Reading from a book, than actually seeing it implemented, completely different things, and you get the answer like that. Mm -hmm. So I really think it's gonna, the, well, it's gonna be a quick win. It's gonna be surface knowledge. So the one thing I do warn you about is if you wanna see what that looks like, figure it out or get this answer from ChatGPT, then dive into that. Don't just um, right. sit there and say, oh Not yeah, it's good now. It's all right, well, we see what it looks like. This is, you know, here's an example. What are What's the impact? Because I don't think Chad GPT, well, Chad GPT will probably give you a general list of impact, but to actually figure out what's going on afterwards and what that means, that's when you're actually going to have to like dig up. But it'll actually, this will get you in the right place and moving in the right direction. So I'm not mad. I think it's what's really cool is you can quickly, when you hear buzzwords, attacks, reading something or whatever, and you're like, gosh, I'm not really quite sure what that is, how that works. What's nice about chat GPT is you can get to explain it kind of like you see the you know SQL injection. But even if that's like too high or too low level for you, you can try to tell it, can you explain it to me like I have no idea what any of these things are? And it does a pretty good job of, you know, quote unquote dumbing things down to a level where you can say, okay, now I get the 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 concept. Now I can really gravitate to what are the technical things you're talking to. So I think that part's really cool with Chad GPT. We're just trying to learn security on the fly, and you know, with whatever you're dealing with in the day-to-day. -day. Previous to this, you'd have to do research and say, okay, what is SQL injection, right? Give me some examples. And typically you can oh, do yeah. that and you can look it up. Executing that in an environment where you were able to learn like what it actually did was probably a little bit more difficult building your data sets. This does break it down nicely. I, I wonder, 
and this is probably good for people who learn in a way that like everything's broken down to you without having to do the work physically to do the work or to try and kind of that, that failure, try, fail, try, fail, try, succeed type uh, process. It's interesting though, like it, for it to break down the logic and understand how to then explain it to you in a specific way, I think is going to be huge for people who have very different ways of learning. And that's that's the key to this, I think I feel like, right? Like I am more of a try and fail and figure it out type of person where like somebody might be able to break it down and see the the problem, the answer and the formula and how you got there and then understand it. Almost like math or like algebra or calculus or something like that, right? And so I feel like mm-hmm. it's doing that from a from a call it like a math class perspective where you're gonna get the information, it's gonna show you the answer and it's going to work backwards but it's going to be interesting to see where this evolves to it giving the prompt and be like try it out on this random data set that we built and see the results right that would be really cool for me yeah so yeah. i think kind of almost like you're like quick emulation right so to go wrong what you're saying mike is i think i've always been a very visual learner i need to see it i need to see how it's working to be fair, like I'm not a bit like I've never really programmed stuff outside of academics um, yeah. because that that's just difficult for me. Like I don't know, like I can't I can set variables, I can just but it's like, well, what is this gonna look like? And then I run it and I get error. It's like, oh well, that's not helpful. But that's when the fun begins. <laughs> and I think, but I think that's yeah, why I'm so <laughs> I think that's why I gravitated to where I am now because the logs are my visual visualization, right? The truth. Right, and yeah. you can say like your lock right it's just like boom here it is this is what happened and then this helping out even more is just like well here's what it looks like here it's just not a visual learner that helps out a lot well so check out this next technique right so one of the things i wanted to hit on was i don't know if people have ever tried to de-obfuscate or de-encode any kind of malicious scripts and stuff that have come across um, the example I, I threw up there in the Discord chat, it's basically a PowerShell encoded and slightly obfuscated script from a real threat report. Uh, and what was cool was it basically was telling me kind of how it was encoded, described some of the key features initially, and then I just basically kept prompting it. You know, it's like I talked about having to need to pivot, you know, force ChatGPT to, to do exactly what you want it to do. So I was like, can you decode this? And then it decoded it where it kind of showed me what it was, but there was still base 64 encoded material within stored in a variable. And I was like, hey, that variable there, can you decode that? And sure enough, it pulled everything out, explained the variables, what the variables were doing. Um, and I thought this was a very effective way to possibly address some things you might see quickly. Like if you see something, cause sometimes for one, if you get you know threat intelligence reports, they might pull out, oh, there was this embedded macro and this was the macro. They don't like actually decode it for you. And they just kind of throw it in there as if like, just so you know, if you want to detect, well, now you can actually decode those types of things and actually find other artifacts you might care about, especially some of the encoding stuff. If you're looking for just straight detections and IOCs, you can pull out domains, IPs and things like that as well. But by either looking at threat reports or things you're actively investigating, I thought this was just a really, a nifty thing. I remember like, you know, using CyberChef, or other types of means, depending on what OS you're looking to decode base 64, but there's multiple different types of encoding. I haven't like stress test what chat GPT is capable of, but it's pretty cool that it can take something that has 
obfuscation, encoding, multiple encoding, and just kind of break it down and go through it. And it, I mean, it took me what, 60 seconds. So. Because I like how it says, as I mentioned earlier, this script is potentially harmful and I would advise against yeah, it. Yeah, already doesn't like it. <laughs> so my question is, does it understand the code and what it does? Or does it say it's potentially harmful because of the context that it was in? Like, if this was from an Intel report. I think it's 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 got enough malicious things that it's probably seen before and that were flagged as malicious based on the context that it like read through these things. So when I see something like this, the relationships between the strings and characters, kind of how language models kind of work together. It's like, God, oh, this kind of matches a similar pattern to those types of things is my guess. Yeah. Again, you got to realize like this is all human, well, not human. The model is reinforced, right? So it's probably something that it's seen before. Like Scott, you said, I'm, I'm, I'm curious if we fed it some zero day type of thing that it probably wouldn't necessarily it might be like that looks bad but it wouldn't might not be it might be know. might be like cautious but not as yeah blatantly yeah. harmful right it probably is saying if something's encoded and it runs i i i e x and then also does this thing it's probably bad so it's probably just like these flags or modifiers saying this thing's probably bad right um but it's i mean for it to be like hey this could be bad that's that's interesting. <laughs> oh yeah, still still very right. helpful. A great tool to have in your toolkit for just stuff. And did this help you? Like if you so, were doing an IR type engagement, like would this have been like, oh, sweet, now I know how to go. I remember starting out and getting encrypted thing, not encrypted, but encoded and obfuscated things. And there were some people that were really good at just kind of reversing some of the variables and having it output the things for them by like running the malicious stuff, but like making it benign based on the last execution. And I didn't know how to do that at the time. So I was like, God, how do these people deobfuscate and decode this stuff? And then I kind of learned how to like do it the hard way where I was actually like doing it myself and not like having it execute to do it for me. So there was a multiple iterations of learning patterns trying to mature to where I could understand how to cope with these things. And this is just great. If you're day one analyst and this is what you have as a resource, you can accomplish so much more than I could day one. Does this absolutely jack up uh, CTFs in the future? Ooh, I don't know. It's a good question. <laughs> right? Like, especially if it has like, if they give it access to the internet, can it then like reference other CTFs that try to do the similar things? I mean, that, that's interesting. Like, well, they have to like not allow chat GPT type I, stuff. Yeah. I don't know. It's a question. Let's ask ChatGPT what it thinks about yeah. dominating CTFs in the future. Is <laughs> CTF yet? Yeah, contender. Yeah. Um, so I guess I'm up next. Uh, yep. We're gonna take a, a step back, like five steps, right? I think we've talked about this before, but just understanding basic concepts and being able to prompt and be like, hey, I need to understand the difference between a detection of a or a hunt or a detection identification again with its ability to summarize and sum those different concepts and give you a prompt that is educational mm -hmm. is is again it 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 absolves the the complexity of you going out and searching that stuff independently to say I need to understand what a detection is I need to understand what a identification is and then coming to that conclusion on your own. 
the thing that I, I think bothers me with some of this is like that ability to deduce this stuff on your own is really important in my mind. So it's one thing to say like, give me the answer. And it's one thing to build the answer on your own. And I just worry about the skill set of analysts and engineers and cybersecurity people over time where things are going to be very, very easy for them. And then what happens when well, that's not available to them or that answer isn't necessarily adjacent to what they're trying to solve? You're going to you're going to lose that like logical kind of, uh, you know, ability to like figure out the problem on your own based on these prompts. And so it, it, this this kind of brought up that in my mind to say it's it's going to be easier for a lot of people. Right. It gives so you the answer. One of the things that context, but you have to have the understanding what, of what it means. Yeah, that's what I was going to kind of try to touch on was you make a kind of a good point is this is really effective for us with experience. Like we get there's a like this specific question, we get there's a difference and we kind of have an idea understanding what that difference is. This kind of spells it out where we can kind of say, ah, yeah. So I would, I would draw similar distinctions and things like that because of our own experience and the information we're getting. Now, if you have no experience and you're going off this information, it kind of becomes that regurgitation game. Like you really didn't learn anything. You just know how to memorize, hey, this is this and this is that, right? And and so I think you can kind of run into that problem. And that's kind of similar to when you walk, when you see people come out of academia though, right? There's a lot of, you get some experience, but there's a lot of regurgitation that comes because you're just kind of learning a lot really quick or certification, same thing, a lot really quick. So I feel like you have a similar challenge there, but what I think is nice about chat GPT is it's more flexible than the other two because you can ask it questions off the rails or on other topics that might not get touched on. Like that, the access there for information is more indefinite than than that of those other resources. But I, what I liked about this too is, you know, we struggle with this from a, um, we try to, when we write our content, we try to be very clear with our terminology and say we're identifying something versus detecting something. And we want, we try to make that clear distinction because when we look at detections, they're more like that alert driven process driven type thing versus identification there's context around driving that and i think that's a kind of important thing for people to understand when they think about threat hunting versus just doing SOC detection analyst type work they're, they're kind of two different things i think i see and I'm, I'm kind of looking at it from like the the programmatic or developer standpoint where i've seen things like copilot mm -hmm. with github and this kind of lends into the next thing we're gonna talk about with Lee on the simple programming help. But if it mm -hmm. prompts you and just tells you the thing and you don't understand the core concepts of that thing, just like when people will go out to Stack Overflow and be like, all right, I have a problem, I'm just gonna copy code in and now it runs, but you don't understand yeah. how it's running and why it's doing that. I feel like we're gonna to get to that place where it's just gonna be that this is the, this is the thing, right? We're just gonna put this in place it runs i don't even know why it's doing what it's doing and we're going to lose a lot of the the core concepts of the understanding of just like there's not a lot of fortran programmers and cobalt programmers anymore that are touching the ones and zeros we're all abstracted above that and we're going to keep moving higher and higher up that scale we don't care about the ones and zeros and the computer architecture and you know translating python into machine language it's just going to be like these higher level concepts as we start to utilize these tool sets. So, well, I know we, we've seen that. The last Highlander 
It can only be one. Is I was that gonna say we've seen that with uh, we've seen that with uh, network engineering where it's like software defined networks. Yep. And the real true network engineers, like people can spin up a network really fast and make it work really well. And then when there's an issue and you have to look at the PCAP, they're like, well, I don't want to do that. Like I can build huge networks, but when sure. I have to troubleshoot at the PCAP level, you got to pull out the senior guy that's all bearded and, you know, been there for yep. 30 or 40 years. He's like, you don't want to do like, oh, Right. My brother is one of those guys that knows Fortran and does mainframe computing and, and like, there's a there's a small skill set around that. It, it's going to be interesting when we're when we get to our senior like if we're in this for another 20 years like we're going to be the guys that are like oh yeah I can read that PCAP or I know how to troubleshoot that network or that mm -hmm. code right and these these you know there's already a trend to no code low code you know X Y Z there's there's companies like Airtable and you know things like that that you can connect the databases and just Put the blocks in place and things work where you don't have to understand literally anything about programming and i we're just going to continually like abstract out those layers and where there's there's going to be that skill set of individuals like us and who've been in the game for a while that will know how to actually operate so i think the the biggest separator is going to be experience um mm -hmm. and you've all touched on it but it, this is quick knowledge it's quick context quick understanding of it, but all surface layer, like I said before, but if you're not in it and you're not understanding the implications or if you're not experienced enough, like um, I forget which, it was a Darknet diary um, and these guys were planning. Great podcast. Um, oh yeah, cute, love I love Darknet diary. Um, yeah. Free plug. Um, <laughs> but, uh, so like um, they're talking about monitoring ISIS in the Middle East and these guys spent like years studying the people the you know the main people that were involved and they're like we're actually going to attack now so they started attacking and they were trying to bring down the um the isis media network and they ran to a wall and they're like well this guy has a password he's like we don't know his password how do we not and i think one of the analysts was like uh or the story goes he said one five one five and they're like well why why one five one five he's like well i've been studying this guy you know i've been under trying to understand who he is what he does how he, you know, what makes him function. And so always 1515, which if you look at, if you type it out, it looks like ISIS, right? That that level of understanding. That's, that's amazing. Yeah, that's awesome. But that's that's what this is missing, right? Mm -hmm. And that's what that's what's gonna separate the juniors from the seniors, from the seniors to the principals, is that how far did and I'll say it, like how far did you go with chat GPT? Did you use it to answer questions and you know get quick wins, or did you use it to start a journey of understanding and experience? So yeah, and I, I think what we're saying is like well, it's like a that's, tool, but it's not the yeah, thing that's going to define you, right? It can pass. The I, bar I don't know anything in cybersecurity. There's nothing in cybersecurity that replaces anyone. Like they're all right. tools, and unfortunately, like they don't get marketed as it's just tools. They get marketed as solutions, mm -hmm. right? But you know, anyone that has worked in here long enough knows that, yeah, there's some better tools out there, but ultimately, like, you got to know how to implement and use the tool effectively. Otherwise, it's, it really has no value, but then it's nowhere close to the solution. But, but yeah, ChatGP, I think similar. Yep. What else we got? I think the yeah. Lee, you're up with the, the programming help. So, funny enough, I was actually going to take it this way. Um, I think this is a perfect segue into it because like i said i picked this because i'm not a very good programmer it's all been academic uh, i wish i would spend more time 
you know, trying to figure it out. But if you sit there and you can, once again, we're going to go back to the experience and the understanding and the implications of this. It's great. It's a great tool to get a quick understanding, a quick bit of code from it. And I feel bad because we just said everything. Like, well, you know, once everyone starts learning here, right? Uh, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> we'll just nudge that up. No, but one thing I will say is if this is trained and everyone is asking the same questions, how do I program this? How do I program this? And then you start getting these developers, right? You start getting um, all the same code, right? And we mentioned earlier that ChatGPT is really good at regurgitating what already exists. What it's not good at is the creative mindset. And hear me out. It can produce a poem for you by Dr. Seuss about whatever topic you want, right? And it could be new, the poem could be new, but it's not really creative thought. It's taking a Dr. Seuss model and applying it, applying what it knows of a topic to it versus coming up with actually something new and creative. So yes, we could get a bunch of mass-produced programmers that know how to make the code because they've, you know, vast chat GPT, they've copy and pasted. But when it comes to creating like a modular program and how things mm -hmm. have to function and call each other and, you know, what happens if this breaks? Well, you know, what is, you know, what's your backup? Um, that's the higher level application of it, if that makes sense. Like, we can always ask it so, to, how do I look at this? What does this look like? And boom, here it is. But implementing it into a complete solution is going to be different. So one of the things I've had success with that I do like, so I do a lot of like random coding. I, I do some video encoding type stuff sometimes. I use FFmpeg or FFprobe. And I know you can do like command line, like automation type things. And sometimes I can use chat GPT to say, hey, this is what I'm trying to do. I'm using this tool, what flags do I use? What are things? And it gives me a good structure to start from, which is really cool. And one of the things I also like as well is if I write, like I, I, I do code from time to time and I can kick out a bunch of code and I can make something work, but I know based on how I kicked it out, I wasn't really focusing on what's the best way to do it, to optimize it, that kind of thing. And I'll take blurbs of code and throw it in there and say, this is what I've got. This is what it's trying to do. Can you optimize it? And it will give me really good suggestions for, hey, you should might you might want to use this versus this or structure it this way. And I thought that was a really interesting, you know, for like simple coding um, to kind of help out for those types of things. But I do feel like every time I've interacted with ChatGPT for coding, I've had to like push it in the direction I want to go. Like it'll give me something I'm like, ah, eh, not quite what I'm looking for. Can you take that and then do this with it and like have like multiple iterations and then I end up with something pretty cool, but it's not um, like this example is kind of out of the gate because it's a simple question. Um, but I feel like when you actually give code and want to have that conversation back and forth, uh, you, you do kind of push and nudge and then you, you, you know, kind of formulate what you got. So. so there are companies that are built around chat GBT and some of these models where they're saying, give me a iOS app that does uh, customer onboarding for XYZ and it'll spit out the app. And so we're gonna see coding as a commodity. We're gonna see coding become, to your point, like less creative. Like there's a standard around building a SaaS app to do XYZ, especially if the code's out there, right? Yeah. Like there's a way to do it. Like I need an app that allows for SSO, for login, it's a database that stores user accounts for XYZ, 
that gives you the ability to input these things and they can spit that out, right? There's no creativity behind that. That is a kind of a, a tried and true method of doing that thing. And that is only gonna like increase over time. So those type of apps, the iOS apps, the SaaS apps, all that's gonna be commodity in the future, right? And then it's how you just d differentiate off of that to build that next new thing. But over time, that's also become commodity if that code base is in the wild and exploitable via these models that can learn and train off of those things. Not trying to be like super depressing about it, but like that's just the way it's gonna go. And ChatGPT well, hired a bunch of engineers and coders to train these models recently. It's I think there can be pros and cons of that though, right? Like if if ChatGPT can produce secure coding practices, so standardize all the things that create all the numerous bugs that create problems for us in our industry based on, you know, you're going to be buying software that's going to be coded and you hope someone codes it correctly. That human error aspect might come out. Like the creativity and the capability might not be what we can possibly create. So there could be some advantages from like that templating type. Ooh, portion. but what happens when but, that zero day comes out to that template and then everybody's affected yeah no that that's the problem right like that's like how do you guarantee that you're right yeah yes that was, that was my next thing is like but then it produces the wrong thing that's a bigger problem so yeah yeah it's no, gonna so be interesting to see where this goes though go ahead Lee. i was gonna ask you scott did you ask it one if it can write secure code two can you input insecure code into it and say can you take a, like use it as code review and say can you tell me if this is secure or insecure I didn't try that, but that would be really cool. I know like it does with the, some of the security controls, try not like you've got to be really careful how you word things because it's trying really hard not to write security issue related stuff because, you know, it doesn't want to have this reputation of, you know, th there's been so many things that have hit the media about how it's going to, you know, make attackers the brilliant attackers they are today. Um, so they put a lot of constraints around getting malicious things or insecure things through it. I'd be um, curious if it like. Yeah, I haven't tried call it python code you say i want to import log4j version the exploitable version and see if it says like don't do that <laughs> right you use the term exploit it usually will give you an error kind of thing okay. you have to like force no, just, just importing yeah. code like uh make this more secure and you say at the top be like import log4j uh, yeah. um whatever version it is and see what happens right I did like, see yeah. a lot of the a lot of the respected talking heads on like Twitter and LinkedIn said, I think I've seen a couple whenever this blew up. Well, I, I'll use talking heads as, uh, I didn't mean to by that. But uh, a lot of, you know, the, ma the uh, main key players, I think a lot of them said, don't use it for code review. And I was like, well, why not? What's the harm there? It's, I mean, now I get it. If it's proprietary, well, you don't want to be putting proprietary I stuff. I think it's not, probably because it's not built for it for one and two if you're going to do something for code review then you're saying you're basically going to trust something that's not built for code review and so you're kind of putting like hey if it passed this it's good and that might not be a, that'd be a false sense of security kind of perspective of how i look at it at least yeah i mean you can do things like version numbers against code bases that have cdes like that's easy to do right like if i'm importing some package that has a known vulnerability like it could spit out yes don't do that now, if I'm writing something that does like authentication for JWT that has some sort of vulnerability or I'm um, 
patching something in plain text from a security standpoint on a login and it doesn't know the context and it misses that and you're like oh well you know chat gp said it was cool we're good right like there, there's some there's some implications there but it's all about risk so if you get popped and you're like well chat gpt looked over my code like that's not going to pass right now right it could be eventually but that's not going to be the 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 route out of having to pay a lot of money so all right so we we're kind of getting you know closer on our our timetable here so do you want to kind of speed around some of these last ones kind of just to say a few points on what we think we can kind of go through the list that we have right now and see what ones are kind of hot topics i do like your next one i do think that's really cool system configuration yeah yeah um so i have one on system configuration in the example we asked it the bind configuration for private and public again i think this is a very very cut and dry example of how chat gpt can help because it's a well-defined structured documented thing that i don't have to go bounce around to different websites to understand how to implement this properly it gives me the answer and so one of the first things it says in the list though is like install and configure bind on your operating system or your dns server i could probably prompt it again to be like i need bind installed on ubuntu 2204 and it would tell me exactly what to do and then i could move on past there it's all the same things i would do in google explain to me in a list of things i could actually like copy this out and throw it in my OneNote documentation and be like look this is how you do this thing and i'll have to deal with the document yeah. right that's awesome for me and i don't know if you could prompt it to say like i need these servers configured and it would change the code base that's there that's something we haven't touched like touch base on but this is great for again everything we've talked about around that the base knowledge of a thing think about standing up a lab right 100 percent. you want to stand up a lab quick like you could just say i need to build these few things these are my requirements for what i want how do i configure these things like i just feel like that is like I don't, I don't think you should configure your enterprise this this way. It might be a good resource to bounce ideas. Right. But gosh, like, like we've all, I think we've all built labs or played in labs. Like I think this, and usually the biggest challenge is like I've never done this before because I'm standing up something with I don't have a lot of experience with. There, it's not my forte. I now can stand up a DNS server no problem, or I now can configure a switch no problem if I don't have those skills. I think it's really cool. So, have you? And this brings up everything I think you mentioned in that conversation was open source. Well, you could do open source, correct? Well, you can find this on the web, but it just takes a lot more work, I think. Well, I mean, like the technologies that were involved, like Linux. Oh, yeah, yeah. Now, sure. what if you ask it a specific tool that is normally like uh, you have to be have a have to have a license for it, or you have to purchase the tool itself? Yeah, it might and, be the documentation is available. Yeah, it's like. Yeah. yeah, so like a security tool, and I'm trying to think of any that have gated documentation. Yeah. Like you're not going to get the response on that. Like, how do I configure right. X firewall to do this thing? It exactly. probably won't tell you, right? Because it doesn't have that data set. I was just saying that would be interesting if it did have that data set. Well, that'd be but scary. That's cool when you think about. <laughs> <laughs> well. So if you think about a lot of like security solutions in general, like the, the point you make, if it doesn't um, give you the exact answer, but it gives you something similar, a lot of stuff kind of functions the same way, may use a couple of terminology word differences or whatever, but it might get you on the right path. 
So, you know, I think a win's a win when you, when you think of things like that. I was thinking about uh, bridging that gap of experience with resumes. Like, you look at it and be like, hey, you need five years Cisco experience. It's like, well, I've never dealt with Cisco. What does that look like? Boom. Yeah. Real quick, just on like resume writing and like mapping to the industry that you want, like you input the resume that you have and be like, write this for a cybersecurity role for a tier one analyst and have it spit out and like map the things that you're good at, the things that you should have experience with as a tier one analyst in cybersecurity would be amazing. It's an amazing like, and I probably shouldn't say it. I hope nobody is going to build this product off of this, right? But like, that's an amazing opportunity that I think, you know, a lot of places could potentially use because there's skill sets that align with both sides that well, that's exactly. or AI could manipulate into that thing. Cut that, cut that. We'll, we'll save that for a second. That's exactly. <laughs> well, I was going to say, like, when I had the thing where I writing mundane things, that's exactly what I had to do, which was yep. kind of cool. Basically. So, Write that all out for me. Ironically, so I know side tangent too. The class I'm in right now is actually the the task was you're create a business and your job is to uh, pitch a adoption of a new tech emerging technology. I think Chat Chat GPT because we're here, right? It's easy. It, I mean, if it's it's all in your face and a bunch of research, reading articles, you know, peer reviews, uh, you know, all that stuff. And I know this is kind of like a side tangent, but it said. As much as knowledge as this produces, you shouldn't be worried that it's going to reduce the amount of jobs out there because it still needs human aspects of completing a task. Um, and that's the, you know, that's the input, um, but it's also the experience of the implementations. Like we've been doing all night long, we've just feeding it, feeding it, and it's just been put in output. If you have no idea what to do with that output, I mean, that's on you. But it's not going to do that for you yet. Yeah. Um, just, just an interesting side note. So, Lee, I want you to touch on this next one, and maybe we'll close out on that one too. The operationalized information piece. So, listen, I haven't mastered it yet, but this could make that job a lot easier. Whenever I take an Intel report, um, the first thing I like to do is identify IOCs right out the gate, right? your IPs, your hashes, um, domain names, throw that all to one side um, and then say, all right, well, what are the behaviors we're looking for? And that comes into aspect or in, comes into light with the command line arguments, the parameters that are used, um, the relationships of the, um, of the processes that are kicking off. I feel like um, this would be great if it could ingest that and put, you know, make those two separate layers, you know, just make that job a lot quicker. Um, so but also, it used to be really good. I was going to say it used to be really good if you can, when you were able to feed it a lot of input to say summarize this threat report, but also say, give me all the technical information from this threat report and it would pull and actually distinctly pull those out. But it has that input limitation now that prevents some of that. But wow. I'm sorry. Well, no, no, that's fine. Um, and, but what I really like about this, though, is if you if it could or if it did do that, it provides context. And I know we probably said on multiple podcasts. I probably said it tonight. But context is king. Just just the item, just like in an instant response or threat hunting, an event is an event, right? You find a log. That's you know it's a log. But if you have the understanding of 
what happened before it, what happened next, or at least have the understanding of where to go, that context is what will actually make or make everything make sense. And that's why, like, uh, you know, ChatGPT providing that context so you can get that quick understanding of, oh, well, what if this happens? What if it's not in the right spot? What if it's spelled differently? You know, where should, does it normally live? Mm -hmm. Information right there. And then you can immediately say, oh, so, you know, when logon.exe running out of the temp folder is not normal. Okay, cool. I know what to look for next. So. I think the next couple of months to a year is going to be very interesting for this. There's probably going to be a lot of sis and assists out there. Um, the robo crawling, a lot of organizations are going to be very upset because this data that came back from what you spit out is coming from a private website. Talking about the SSPI call? The response, like where they're getting the information from is probably from an organization or a website that has that data that is that they took a lot of time and effort to present on their website that was crawled by ChatGPT. And so a lot of the argument today is that there is a copyright framework or law saying that like, if you divert the ability to make money or to uh, not prosper, there's another term for that, but basically Profit. you're taking eyes off of the derivative works of that website. So let's call it, maybe Microsoft has this on their website and now ChatGPT is presenting this, but you don't get the clicks in the eyes on Microsoft anymore because you're just going to go to ChatGPT. That's going to be interesting uh, yeah, results. Right? And yeah. so there's going to be these, these lawsuits and these things are going to happen in the next couple of months um, that I think are going to affect the data sets of ChatGPT. And so the things over time in the next couple of years, the values are really going to come from that data set. So if you have a great data set of information, you're going to make a lot of money because that's where you can put blocks on crawls on your website, right? Like we'll probably do that for ours yeah. in Hunter, right? Like if you can't log in, you can't see all our home packages and the things that we produce. The really big interesting one is um, uh, so like Yelp. Right. If I say, what is the best steak restaurant in Richmond, Virginia, and it spits out the results, I now don't go to Yelp. I now have no ability to click the ads or get the viewership on Yelp. They don't get the pass-through money. They don't get the Google ad like representation. And they lose money off of that. So they're going to sue. And so I think so this Google is has an advantage because it doesn't do that. It makes you go to the site. Yeah. Because they have ad sharing. Because they pay out 70% yeah. of their revenue. Yeah on the ad sharing. So there's gonna be an inflection point with JetTPT where it's gonna lose a lot of their data sets and they're gonna have to pay a boatload of money to get those data sets back to be even somewhat reliable on the responses that they send back. Lee, you have something? Yeah, yeah that's gonna be interesting to solution for that. And I've noticed, I've noticed that when we've been talking about ChatGPT and looking at the responses, the easiest solution to that, I believe, um, and if ChatGPT is listening, you're welcome. Um, is the same are. way to get out of plagiarism in school. Cite your source, and you can say, "Here's the answer." Yeah. On this it or, might be or, tough for the model that has like a hundred sources, but yeah. But uh, so think about this though: you're still going to have to end up paying for that source. You can cite it all day, but that source is going to be like, if you want this data, you're going to have to pay. X amount of money to get this data out. But is it cheaper than a lawsuit? Uh, no. No. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, don't, I don't. 
I don't think so over uh, time. Yeah, me. Yeah, I don't think so over time. So like, there's a really cool example, and I'm it's it, I'm trying to remember. Like, Apple pays for a data set explicitly, so I think it's Google is built into Apple's search for like Safari, and they pay like billions of dollars a year for that access, right? For that data set for search, right? So there's this like other marketplace underneath all this that's going to happen, which is going to be really interesting. But I mean, it's if you have a security data set of knowledge and understanding, like if we have the threat hunting lexicon and we control that and we sell that over to ChatGPT, like that's what they're going to have to do over time, right? So there's being kind of the end of the the, the session here, I think we should try to wrap this thing up. I think it's been a really fun conversation. We have, uh, you know, obviously have some other chat GPT things we can share and we might add those kind of to some of the things down the road. But you know, we have a poll too as well. If you partook in the Cyber Sentinel, um, it was kind of a sweet whiskey drink, at least the way I made it. So it was kind of fun. Let us know what you think. Next time the drink will be the Crypto Cooler. Uh, it'll be a rum-based drink. Yeah, maybe it'll be good. Uh, before we kind of sign off of here, I just want to make a few call outs and mentions, you know, for really good information. If you like the stuff you hear here, hear, hear, there's some other things that'll be available as well. First, there'll be the Overwatch the Threat Hunting Management Workshop. This is going to really talk about some threat hunting program type aspects, what they look like, measures, capabilities, best practices, industry standards something you should really look into. It's really good for, I think, a team to understand what a program should look like, as well as if you're gonna be leading a team or your management, you know, wants to get a grasp on what that could look like, definitely check that out. Second, traditionally, we always have those threat hunting workshops with hands-on experience with Lee Arkinall. Uh This one will be lateral movement. That one will be a lot of fun. Um, he's gonna be covering down on those. Uh, got really good feedback. There's a CTF-like challenge at the end. Please partake in that. And you know, with that, everyone, thanks for joining us. We love talking shop with friends and colleagues. Please, if you like what you hear here, uh, check us out on the Apple Podcast or Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts in general. And leave a good review. It helps us get discovered so that more people will partake. And we also have our weekly podcast that we do for, you know, five topics usually on news, intelligence reports, technical write-ups uh, that we will dive into on Wednesday. So check that out as well. So all we have here, so happy hunting from our side, Lee, Mike. Great combo. Love it. Um, hope you all learned something and can't wait for the next one. Take care. Absolutely. Thanks for listening to the Out of the Woods podcast. Be sure to subscribe wherever you heard this podcast so you never miss an episode. For more information or to connect with Cyborg Security, check us out online at www.cyborgsecurity.com and follow us on social media. We'll see you next time.